Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by Coach Mike Diebler, who you may also know from the OCR Underground podcast. Mike and I had a great conversation today all around his philosophy of keeping people safe when he is training them as a coach and also when we're thinking about training ourselves as athletes. Whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you'll find this information highly valuable. So let's tune in. Mike, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I am doing fantastic. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. I'm really excited to talk with you today. Me too. Yeah, this is going to be fun. So I, first and foremost, I love what you're doing um, for the OCR world. I love your podcast. I love just from the coaching aspect, what you're doing. And so that's ultimately why I reached out to you and why I wanted to get you on because of how you view coaching, how you view what we should be doing as an athlete. And that is by keeping people safe, essentially. Absolutely. Um, so before we dive into that, I kind of want to get into just, I know there's a lot to who are you, um, mm -hmm. because you are involved in a lot, <laughs> but um, kind of just as a general sense, like what do you do and how did you get into um, this keeping people safe philosophy? Uh, sure. I know I can go in a million different directions. So if I kind of start with just, I guess what I do, uh, the, the main thing is I own a personal training studio in San Diego. Uh, I still train, I train three days a week. So I cut back from that to just, uh, help run the business, uh, but also get into some of the other things I, I really enjoy doing like the podcast. Um, I also teach at a community college out here, exercise physiology. And then I've really gotten into, uh, the just the education side of our industry and I work with functional movement systems to teach their level one and level two courses and I also am the director of education with exercise etc which is another uh, continuing education organization to help with uh, trainers coaches therapists to continue get their CCs and all that that good stuff so I'm kind of all over the place but I think that's a little bit of my personality I can't just do one things I have to one thing I have to have my hands and, and a whole bunch of different things um, but to kind of go back to what you asked on, on how I developed my philosophy I I was an athlete in college I was a high jumper and I always joke that my healthiest day of my career was the first day of my freshman year and then after that it went downhill fast and I felt like I was just always dealing with something. And it, like I was a, a high jumper, like I said, and I, the amount of shoulder injuries I had was insane. And I'm like, I'm, I'm jumping. Why does my shoulder hurt? But then you look and it's like the programming I was doing and not to bash my strength coaches back then. I think we've learned a lot in from the, uh, them to now, but I was just doing things I shouldn't have been doing. And, and overtraining is, is probably what it came down to do. Um, as I, kept going after my career, my, my track career was over and I started you know, personal training certified and, and finished my degrees and all that and started training. I kind of kept that same mentality I learned in uh, college, which was you need to perform, you need to work hard and figure it out kind of thing. And I would start to train people that way. And sometimes you get lucky and people lose weight, they perform, whatever. And a lot of times you get in that cycle of, hey, my shoulder's bugging me. It's like, okay, we'll work around that. And okay, now my knee's bugging me. Okay, we'll work around that. And 
I just kept getting in that cycle. And I, and I noticed it myself as I got more active, as I got more into like obstacle course racing and getting into that competitive nature again, I was dealing with injuries all the time. So I had to start to really look at what's the problem here. And a lot of it was boiling down to the training programs I was doing could get, we're, we're helping. I, and I don't want to like say everything I was doing was wrong, but a lot of the times it was contributing to some of the issues that I already had. And that's when I found uh, things like functional movement systems and, and other things out there that were just helping me really look at movement and and activity that we may be doing and learning when you can, you know, push the pedal and go and when maybe we should hit the brakes and back off a little bit. And once I started to embrace that, it really made a difference. One in my personal training where I just wasn't hurt. Not that I never get hurt. I'm not going to make that claim, but I feel good most of the time. Sure, I do things, you know, I, I can be stupid sometimes too and do things I shouldn't do. But I like to think that I'm pretty smart about it. And when I do see me starting to step over that line, I, I know when to back off. And then the same thing, you know, trying to be a good coach with my clients. And sometimes they really want to do something. And this is the hard part. I have to make that decision. I don't think we should do this right now. I know you want to do that. We're going to find a way to get there. But, you know, take that one step back so we can make two steps forward. And that that's kind of how I got to the, the approach where I am now and, and really considering all of that to, to keep my clients safe to if they want to race, they can race if they want to just go for runs and do five K's and whatever, or just to do activities of daily living, play with their kids, their grandkids, you know, whatever. It's all a very similar philosophy. Yeah, absolutely. Since we tend to learn from our mistakes, let's go back to when you were injured all the time and you know you weren't training right. What sort of things were you doing? What sort of things were you not incorporating that um, contributed to a lot of these issues? Oh, I can go a lot of different ways. <laughs> <laughs> so I mentioned my shoulders because I, I think that's still an area that I have, uh, I have to be careful with. Um, so for me, mobility was not something I ever did. And I'll go back to my track career. I specifically remember my coach telling me he read an article in a magazine, which should be a bad start to our conversation that he's going to give me the, <laughs> his advice this way, but that's, that's how it went. He's like, I read this article and it says you shouldn't stretch at all. It's going to help with your jumping. And I, you know, I'm 19 years old and I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I want to perform. So there goes my stretching for everything. You know, it's like, even if they're, you know, and I, uh, you know, we can go into a million different things about stretching, but it's, uh, we can't apply this one little concept to everything. And that's exactly what I did where it's like, I need to be tight because that's going to make me a spring and it's going to make me faster and jump higher and all those things. So, uh, like looking at my shoulder, I know, like if I were to try and, you know, raise my hand, go, I, no way I had 180 degrees, like even close to 180 degrees. I couldn't get my arm over my head. There's no way. But I would program in overhead presses all the time. And it's like, how am I doing those overhead presses if I can't do it without weight? And it's easy. I'm going to compensate in some way. And uh, could have been my back, which some get back issues because I would just do whatever I had to do to get that weight over my head. But for me, a lot of times my shoulder was in such a bad position, had no movement in there at all. And now I'm going to load this up and try and push through it. And when you're, you know, 20 or you know, younger, 
you can get away with a lot of stuff. And that's the dangerous thing because you'll do stuff like that for years and you may not have any issues because that tissue, uh, uh, react, uh, will regenerate better and it can put up with more stress. But as you get older, then all of a sudden it's like, I've been doing this for 20 years and it was never a problem before. And it's like, well, you're older now. I hate to tell you that, <laughs> but I'm getting there too. So, um, and that's a lot of, of what I would see is, you know, not addressing, trying to think. Um, and I, I guess uh, to answer your question better is I used to have the mentality that you have to do the big movements. Like you need to push, you need to pull, you need to squat, you need to lunge, you need to deadlift. And not that I don't agree with that still. Um, but I was at a point where I couldn't do those things. And then I was like, but I need to do those things. So I'm going to load them. So I was kind of just jumping way too far ahead to automatically loading that movement before I really own that, that pattern or, or could really do it. And I think that's a lot of the mistakes that I had to learn from was if I'm not squatting well, <laughs> excuse me, uh, more squatting isn't necessarily going to be the answer because I can't, I don't, un my body isn't understanding this movement the way it should. For me, a lot of it was mobility. And once I accepted the fact that, hey, you need to do some work there, all of a sudden things got better. And it's like, hey, I can get my arm over my head now, or I can squat a little bit better or whatever it might be. Um, so I think most of the mistakes I made were trying to skip too far ahead, you know, skipping chapters in the book before I really understood the foundations of it. Mobility is such a huge aspect of things. And you're exactly right. It's like we read some things. It's like, do stretch. We read other things that says, don't stretch. And we read certain, you know, mobilize, don't mobilize. And there's so mm -hmm. much information out there that as just an athlete reading information, it's really hard to know what to do. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I have some strong opinions on stretching mobility and, and all of that. Um, because of the background I came to, I uh, came from, I, I do understand that a tight spring can create more power, but we also have to understand, you know, big picture what that does. It's like any participating in sports is great, gets you active and teaches you a lot of things, but at the same time, it can teach your body some bad things that you'll pay for later in life. And I think most former athletes will attest to that where they see, sure, I performed awesome but now I'm paying for it. You know, I'm gonna have some surgeries or I'm dealing with this or um, whatever it might be. So I think we have to take all of that into account. Um, and the idea that just everybody is different with what they need. And, you know, I, a lot of the people that I see and work with, they kind of either go like there's the big, they're super mobile, right? They're the big, they, they love yoga, they love stretching. And, and I'm not bashing any of that, but they, they gravitate towards that because they're really good at it. And now they've, they've become hypermobile and now they're maybe not strong enough or stable enough to hold those certain positions or to move in that uh, amount of range of motion. And then you have the other end, which I was definitely guilty of, where we're just a cinder block and you're just asking uh, us to do these movements that we can't access to. So it's two different problems. And it's not that the people that are mobile, I, I would say never stretch because they may really enjoy it. I don't want to take away something they just might have to really watch certain things because they'll put themselves in a compromising situation. Um, and then the ones that are the cinder blocks like myself probably don't like it. So if I just throw a ton of mobility at that person, uh, they may all of a sudden, I was like, I don't like this. I don't want to do this. So I think it's a balance of understanding what type of mobility 
we should throw, you know, whether it's soft tissue and foam rolling or, or something hands-on, you know, if they see a professional, um, all are great. Just knowing what are they realistically going to do and what, what are they going to do? Um, like I, I know that with stretching, the big thing is, you know, don't stretch before you work out or do, you know, it becomes very, uh, a hot topic. And I, I think it all comes down to what specific thing are you trying to accomplish right now? And if it's, I need to move better because I'm so tight. If stretching before a workout helps you obtain that, then that might be the right option for you. Now, if you're going to be doing peak performance and we're going to be doing jumping and sprinting, I don't, I, I still would say you may want to include some uh, stretching beforehand, but it's part of your warm up, and we can do all this other dynamic exercise to kind of get you ready. Don't, don't go right into a, uh, you know, power movement right after static stretching or something like that. So um, I, I know I'm rambling now and uh, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully that kind of touched on the, the areas, but it's, it's a hard question to answer with all the different options out there. And especially if you don't have a background in this, you're kind of just trusting that other people know what they're talking about. And with stretching, I think there's a lot of good information and then there's a lot we still don't know. And uh, just experimenting a little bit is always going to go a long way. Well, and I think it's a twofold issue as well, being that, you know, I know you've seen it that someone's shoulder is bothering them. So they just stretch everything possible in that shoulder when in all reality, it could be an upper back mobility issue. And that's why they can't get that full move movement. And so uh, I think it's just people do what they think is right. Unfortunately, it, it isn't the right thing. And so we do get that hypermobility because other things are stiff and we're still compensating because of that. Uh, absolutely. And, and that's why I think, you know, having a trained eye is always going to be the best thing that you can do to really help you out. And it's, you know, it, it might be something where you meet with on a regular basis or uh, just having somebody kind of evaluate you and, and pointing you in the right direction and saying, here's your weakest area. So you're not spending all this time stretching something that maybe doesn't need stretching uh, when in fact it's a stability issue or, or like you said, yeah, it's, it's more thoracic than, uh, than shoulder, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. Plus the other thing that goes along with it is it, I mean, it can be boring to do. So, you know, it's fun to work out. It's fun to sweat. It's fun to work hard, but then they have to get to mobility and it's boring because you're just holding a position or you're just, you know, and so I understand the reason that people don't make time for it, but it's something that you can make five minutes a day time for it and make you know, if you do that consistently, make good progress. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think sometimes we get caught in, it's gotta be in the workout when, like you said, it's five minutes a day of watching TV and doing this, or, you know, before you go to bed, just going through a little routine or at the office, having a few things. Um, or if it is going to be in your workout, I, I try and do my best to sprinkle it in throughout the entire workout. And it's not just your standard, okay, we, we foam roll and we're going to do some stretching. You know, we can, that's all great and, and getting them ready for the workout. But what if we are going to do something a little heavier, more intense, but I do want you to have a recovery and I can just throw, throw a little mobility work in there and just get your heart rate down and, and let you recover. And now we can go back to it. So um, one, I'm making them recover when sometimes they, <laughs> sometimes people have that hard time where they think the whole workout should be nonstop redlining. And it's like, well, no, like let's push hard back. It's like interval training. Um, and sometimes throwing in a mobility exercise every now and then is a great way to put the brakes on and, and slow them down. Definitely. 
you talked earlier about training those big movements and that's where you tend to have all your focus. And I think it's where most people tend to have their focus because that's pretty much all they know. Unless Mm -hmm. you're a clinician, unless you've gone to therapy or you've taken time to actually learn what stability is in a joint, like all we know are those big muscles, unfortunately. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's what we train. Um, So let's go into why are these essentially smaller movements, more isolated movements, so important to our bodies? Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. It it seems, I think the fitness world is always cyclical and we kind of keep repeating ourselves over and over. I think always trying to find the next best thing where it was all isolation and then it was no isolation. And now we're understanding, okay, (laughs) maybe we, there's a, a middle ground there. And I think this is where you saw so, or you still see so many people, they're trying to build that big house with no foundation where like they, they can bench press 300 pounds or something crazy. Um, and then they tear these little muscles, you know, rotator cuff muscles trying to do it. It's because they have no support at the joint to provide the base for this big movement to build off of. And the hard part is of all this and why we neglect it um, for most of these little stabilizing uh, and supportive muscles is they're not the sexy ones, right? You don't, you don't see them usually at all. Um, so, and, and uh, not when we can't see it, it's harder to really understand, are we truly working this or why are we working this in the first place? And I think just what I try and do with my clients is kind of educate them. Like, here's the ultimate thing you're trying to do. You're, you're trying to do this squat or this deadlift or this overhead press or handstand, whatever it might be, without these little things, that shoulder will not have the capability of controlling that big movement. So it's just understanding that if you're going to get strong, you know, we'll be as strong as our weakest link. And this is where we should start. So let's build this base, build this foundation that we can truly get strong from. Because um, otherwise, it's, it becomes almost like a superficial strength, where you, you'll still get big muscles, and you can still do impressive things. But it only takes that one movement to just ruin everything and set you back. And now you're starting from scratch. So why not take the the smart approach, start with these smaller muscles, and then understand their role in supporting your your bigger movements. Yeah. And from the athlete's perspective, you know, myself speaking, when you do these smaller movements, it's a lighter weight, but you get crazy muscle burn and crazy fatigue with it. And I think mm-hmm. once you experience that and realize that it gets a little bit more buy into the legitimacy of doing it too. Yeah. And they really start to understand what a movement should feel like in the first place where like I'll, you know, going through some like scapula stabilizing exercises or just moving the shoulder, like with more packed shoulder, no weight at all. And all of a sudden they're like, I feel like my shoulder blade and like all these little muscles. And it's like, I want you to remember that because now when we do our bigger lifts and our pushups and our overhead presses, that is what you're going to focus on. Your, your deltoids, your, your pecs, you don't, you, they know what to do. They're these big, big muscles that'll just get the movement done. I want you to understand where you need to think. And it's, it's these little muscles that are going to create that, the big strength down the road anyway. Yeah, Absolutely. Let's talk about overtraining a little bit. Um, It's something that most people, 
experienced in, at one point in time or another, and it's so easy to get into overtraining as, or an overtraining situation. When we're talking overtraining, it can be a lot of different things that we experience. What in your experience are you normally, between either yourself or your athletes you've dealt with, what sort of things do you see with yourself and your athletes when you're in an overtraining situation? Uh, the easy thing is I am sore all the time <laughs> and I can, I can explain myself because I for sure have been there. Uh, it seems like I'm already going into my next workout, just a little bit more beat up than usual. I am not seeing progress in maybe weight or reps or time or whatever particular thing I might be working out in that workout. Um, but I think that the two biggest things are all of a sudden, um, I don't want to say getting sick more, but I just feel a little under the weather. And this actually just happened to me. Um, I'm training for an ultra beast right now. And this summer, I've, or, or not this summer, but building up to, uh, to that distance, I'm just putting in a lot of miles, like just trying to get that in, which I need to do. But I also was doing some other stuff that I shouldn't have been doing and not recovering enough and got hit hard um, with uh, pneumonia and just all the fun stuff that goes with that still, you know, if I cough a little bit, I apologize, but it's, it's just hanging on. So, um, that is usually one big thing is that you normally these little things you would just fight off and they're no big deal. Um, catch up to you a lot more and tend to linger. Um, but the other, I think the major thing that, and not just myself, but I've seen a lot of uh, clients and athletes go through is more the psychological side of it, of you're just not excited anymore like you just don't want to do the workout it it now it's work versus like the fun i'm going to get stronger i'm going to do better um i'm excited that this is going to help me for my competition or whatever it is it's turned into just that you know death march of all right i'm going to go to the gym i'm going to do this and whatever you know and and you just don't or, or i'm not i'm going to skip out on my workout and just not even do it today cuz which sometimes that's okay I, I don't want to say you can never skip a day um, but I think that's the biggest area where I see something's wrong, where we're just no longer excited, where before when we would talk about this stuff, you were ready to go and you really wanted to push and, and do whatever. And now it's just like, I don't know, or, you know, a little ache here, a little pain is, is annoying me. Um, so that's, I think that's probably my number one indicator, but those other things of performance declining and, uh, you know, a little suppressed immunity, all are going to play a key role in there too. I think you nailed it with the psychological lack of motivation part of things. Cause that's, I would agree. That's the biggest thing that I see with most people. Yes. The plateaus and, and progress, or maybe just a week Oh, you know, they start having almost a weakness show up, but, but yeah, just the not having fun with it anymore is, is a huge factor. Yeah. I, I like even to kind of use the analogy of like work and vacation, like I, I love what I do and, but you get burned out of anything if you do it for too long. Mm -hmm. And then when I go on vacation, I'm, I'm ready to go back to work. Like, um, and I'm excited about it. And that's usually a sign of, okay, I went a little bit too long before taking a break. And I think training goes the same way. And that's why you should kind of really look at your big picture training plan and know that, okay, I'm going to back off. And again, it doesn't have to be a total vacation and you can't step in the gym, but at least some type of modification where it's not hard all the time. Um, but it kind of gets you ready where you're like, okay, I'm ready to go again. And I want to lift heavy or I want to run further, or faster or whatever it is. And, um, that will go such a long way for, for anybody. 
Yeah. A lot of times too, when people are kind of in that overtraining state, it's like, I'll just kind of dive into what's fun. You know, let's go play at the park again. Let's go for a hike. Mm. Like just do something that's active and enjoyable for you. For me, it's just playing around gymnastic skills. If I'm overtrained, like I'll just play around with forms and (laughs) gymnastic stuff because it's just playtime. Yeah. And it, and it's still working towards a goal. You're just doing it a different way and, you know, uh, stressing your body a little bit differently than it might all the time. And I think uh, cross training is such a simple thing that people uh, neglect in their program, or I shouldn't even say cross training, just playing and, and doing different stuff. It doesn't have to be structured or anything. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and I definitely haven't had the overtraining thing too, where it feels like we're going in there, but essentially when you're at the gym, like, or training in any way, it should be, in my opinion, like an adult playground. Like you're mm-hmm. there having fun. Yes, you're working hard, but it should be stressful, but a relief, uh, like stress relief at the same point, I guess. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it might be a physical stress on the body, but it's also a, that psych- psychological release of this feels good. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> definitely. Let's talk a little bit about the too much, too hard aspect. Okay. No, that can cause a lot of injuries, that sort of thing. And everyone's going to be a little bit different on what too much, too hard means to them. But just as a general, what does, like, how can we as an athlete kind of judge if it's too much that we're doing or if we're pushing ourselves too hard too soon? Yeah. You know, so if we kind of look at the overtraining stuff that we talked about, that that's usually kind of too late. Like you're probably already in that state and not that it's too late, but, um, we, we want to be as proactive as we can. So I, I think I'm trying to think the easiest way to answer this is when I write a program for somebody, um, or how I explain, like, here's how we want to progress to hopefully get them not to just take take off more than they can take or bite off more than they can chew at this moment. Let's just say I'm going to use a four week training cycle, for example, with with a program I might write. Um, I'll let them know that week one, the goal is just to learn the movement, and you know you're still going to get a workout, but you're not setting PRs. You're, you're just going to go through the workout, and I try and explain it as um, like RPE, like rating perceived exertion. Like, okay, let's say We'll use a scale of one to 10, 10s all out. You could not lift another single rep if, if we're going to say it's a strength workout. Um, you know, and one being this is super, super easy. Uh, week one program, like I, the rule is you're going to be around a seven. I, I want you to leave a couple reps in the tank. I just want you to get proficient at the movement. Some people might be totally new or others, maybe I just give them a couple things that they're going to work on. Um, week two, Okay, we're still building off of that. You're still learning it, but we're going to take it up to an eight. You're going to leave maybe a rep or two reps in the tank. Uh, week three, now we're going to hit uh, nine. Now you're maybe leaving a rep, but getting pretty close to uh, complete failure. And then uh, week four, this is now we set PRs. So now trying to, uh, if it's weight we're going for, you're going to increase the weight. If it's reps, you'll increase the reps, uh, whatever it might be. So we had four weeks to build up to that one really hard training week. Then we just, and then it kind of builds into the next month or the next four week training cycle. Week one, I start over and this is almost like a built in deload. So 
now you are going to back off. You're going to learn maybe some new movements, depending on how much we're going to train up, uh, change up the program. Uh, week two, we build up. Week three, and then um, we build off of that cycle that way. And that just seems to be a simple way um, to help show people you are going to lift hard. Like we're we're going to PR, we're going to max out, we're going to do everything you can. I just don't want you to do it every week um, because I I can show you exactly what that path is going to take you to. Um, and here we're going to keep you w way more likely to be injury free. Um, and get bigger lifts because you're not stressing those joints as hard as you can every single workout. So um, I think if they just have a little idea of what the program looks like, they can see it's like, okay, we're, we're and when I say seven, that's still hard. It's not like you're not even going to sweat or breathe hard. It just, it's, you're not going to complete failure because I think that's where people get into trouble. They think that every set um, that they do is supposed to be until you can't lift anymore and that's that's where we get in trouble yeah definitely when it comes to running and increasing mileage um, when you're working with your OCR people what's your I don't want to say standard but kind of what's your safe zone for increasing that mileage and how you're changing that up uh, so if it it depends on the type of program that we're going to do I usually when I write the program I work backwards to see perfect situation this is how much time I have with you. Um, this I feel would be a safe progression. I, I'll typically do the kind of tradition in mileage or time per week. I definitely break that rule, but I like, I start there and see if that works. Uh, but I think with all of this stuff, you, I'm sure you have seen it too. It never works like you write it out. <laughs> we write the, <laughs> we write the perfect program out and it's like, just do this and everything will magically happen. And then all of a sudden it's like, nope, <laughs> that didn't work. So at least I have the big picture. And then week by week, we start to modify. So if I said, okay, I, we're, we're, our long run for the week um, is going to be about 10% increase. But this week, either you couldn't hit that, like we're trying to hit 10 miles and you couldn't hit it, then all of a sudden we're going to have to break that pattern because I don't want to progress you if you weren't ready. So now it's, we're probably going to stay there. Maybe we can try half a percent or just a slight increase because it's hard to, it may have been a bad day, right? And maybe that was just a bad day. You went out the night before your nutrition was bad and then you tried to do this long run and you paid for it. So I don't want to throw everything away, but I do want to find out about that stuff. If you're like, no, everything. Uh, that distance there. It's like, okay, let's stay here. Let's see how it goes one more week at this distance. And can we progress the following week? Um, but that's, that's typically how I lay out the program is about that 10% increase. But now let's get a feel for, um, and, and it could go the opposite direction. I've had clients, it's like, oh, up a mile. And they're like, honestly, it was, I felt like I barely did anything. And it's, it's like, okay, all right. So I, I might jump ahead a little bit and, and try and um, progress a little bit faster for them. So it, it definitely comes down to that unique situation for each person. Yeah. Cool. We're going to go with someone who's already like training, but maybe wants to step up their game a little bit. What are three kind of main ideas, tips that you would give them in order to make sure they stay safe, prevent as much, decrease risk of injury as much as they can as they're working to increase what they're doing? Uh, so three things to, to reduce their risk or just three things yeah, to to keep them up. safe while increasing their um, intensity, load, whatever it may be. Okay. Um, 
Number one would be every so often checking in with a professional to, um, I guess this would be my number one and my number two. So number one would be have your moving, have your movement evaluated in some form. And I know there's lots of different ways you can do this, but having a trained eye, just watch you. If you're really going to load up your body with either weight or more mile and really want to take it to the next level, having a good foundation is only going to get you better. So just being, a, if you're at least aware of what your major compensations are and have an idea how to fix some of those. So kind of what we talked about earlier, I, I just, that's, I think the biggest thing I can stress is have your movement evaluated just to make sure you're ready for the next step. Um, along with that would be regular check-in with a medical professional. So therapist, um, massage therapist, physical therapist, somebody a, a more of a medical practitioner that could keep you in check. So that is, uh, um, exactly what, I, when I signed up for the ultra, that's what I wanted to do for myself was make sure I, I know the training. I know what I'm supposed to run and lift and all of these different things. What I don't know are the little things that are going to catch up to me and make a, a, a big pain in my butt later. So just regular, I, I still felt pretty good, but if I felt a little nagging thing, um, now it helps to have a network and I can have somebody to go right over to and say, Hey, I either, I feel something like, it's not a big deal. I just don't want this to turn into a big deal. Do you see anything that might be contributing to that? Or, um, or I, and I've even seen them. I feel fine. I just want to check up. I've been running a lot. Everything feels fine, but I also know what a lot of miles can do to your body. And even though I don't, I don't want to wait for pain, I'm going to be proactive and make sure that I know anything that might come up. Um, so that would be my number two is just have a network of people that you trust that will give you feedback on um, how you move. And then, you know, a little bit more specific on the medical side of, of how your joints are working together and um, biomechanics and all that fun stuff. Um, and three would be having some type of modern monitoring system in place to just keep you in check. And that, that would kind of pull back that whole, uh, overtraining and just kind of, cause I mean, training is overtraining, right? We, we want to stress ourselves enough to create that adaptation, but it's when people get stuck in that red line for too long, they run into the issues. So I want to know when I hit that red line, when should I back off? And there's lots of technology and cool things you can do to track. But I think simply every morning waking up and one just how do you feel like scale of one to 10? Like I'm a 10, I'm a two, um, whatever. And just kind of seeing if your answer is constantly low, like, and low is like under six or less. And that's every day. That's something's wrong, right? We, we, we need to figure that out. And it could be a lot of things, not just your training, but, um, that, that could go a long way. Or if you want to get a little bit more technical, you know, tra uh, tracking heart rate, or like heart rate variability, there's lots of apps and things to make that easy. And if you're seeing um, heart rate, or uh, I'm sorry, a, a significant increase in your resting heart rate over time, then it's just telling you that something's going on again. And you know, you might be getting sick, you might just be overtraining, whatever it might be. Um, but I think having psychological of how you feel, and then the physiological of an actual thing you can track would be a, a great tool to just make sure, Hey, I'm starting to push it a little bit. Um, this is just going to help keep me, keep me in check and remind me that, okay, 
maybe I should switch up my workout for today, or maybe it's time to have a deload week or, or back off slightly. Awesome. Great tips there. If someone wants to find you, look into what information you have or listen to your podcast, because it does have some really great information, especially for the OCR world, how can they find you? Sure. Uh, so you can check out my website, OCR under, uh, OCR underground.com and I'm on Instagram, Facebook, OCR underground for all of that stuff. And it's the uh, OCR underground podcast, super creative with my names. Um, <laughs> uh, but you can find that in, uh, iTunes and, um, really Spotify. I think it's pretty much in all of the, um, uh, typical podcast places for that. Awesome. Well, Mike, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate you getting on and talking with me. Oh, my pleasure. It was awesome. And that concludes this week's episode of Highly Functional. If you enjoyed it and found the information helpful, I invite you to head over to Facebook and join my group, Obstacle Course Racing Athlete Health and Performance, where you can both join your OCR tribe, as well as find very helpful, useful information on how to become a more dominant racer, a more resilient racer, and truly race at your peak performance. And until next time, let's go out and be highly functional. <laughs>